It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Brandon here from the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Josh and I are talking about a bit of a polarizing topic in the fitness world, and that is the quote-unquote anabolic window, which is basically a concept regarding nutrient timing, and specifically that's carbohydrate versus protein. So we're going to break down what exactly the anabolic window is, some things that you might want to consider with regards to nutrient timing, and how this might differ depending on the clientele in front of you, basically what kind of exercise they do or what kind of athlete they may be. And then with that said, we're also going to discuss some of the bigger considerations that you might want to tackle first before even considering nutrient timing. Now, don't forget that if you have an episode request or a question, DM us on Instagram. That's at Better Faster Podcast. Go ahead and give us a follow on that. And we appreciate all those shout outs, those reviews and the messages y'all send our way. We love you guys. Now, enjoy the episode. Josh, what's going on, man? This was a big week for you and, and Corey. Shout yeah, out to Corey man. Stewart. Y'all, you guys defended your research. I'm sure that's a huge weight off your shoulders. How'd it go? Definitely, yeah. It, w- it went well, man. Um, obviously, some you know, after talking to our committee, there are some edits for us to do. And we've got some things, you know, a couple of different avenues that we didn't explore that, you know, they think might be interesting to, to follow up on. But for the most part, yep, we're, we're done with the big presentation, at least to them. Um, so we got a couple of edits to make to submit that PDF, to which makes us eligible to take boards early. And then um, we can uh, finalize some things again for we present in seminar in front of the whole PT program in about a month. So uh, got to get to go up there and do it again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one too. Part two, the the defense that actually doesn't count, but sort of does. Um, so <laughs> that'll be good. So haven't haven't done this. So uh, what what's the big takeaway you got from it? I mean, just not so much the results, just the experience in general. I mean, have you have you got bitten by the researcher bug, or do you still want to be a clinician when you graduate? Uh, that would be a very hard no, right there. <laughs> um, so um, you know, I I have a big respect for. Um, for people who do enjoy doing research, I really did not enjoy doing it, but I do think that it was a beneficial um, assignment, beneficial project to have in there because one, you get to, you truly get to understand exactly all the components because we did a full on six week human trial intervention thing. So we had to go through the whole IRB process. We had to do subject recruitment. We had to, yeah, there was, there was a lot of stuff going into it versus just like crunching some, some data numbers kind of thing. Like I had done in my master's project. I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to actually go acquire the data. The data was already there and I just synthesized it in a different way. So, um, this was a, a new experience and, um, 
it was a very beneficial one, especially too, from a stats perspective too, really having to uh, dig deeper into kind of how we were going to analyze anything, everything, and then how to explain it to other people on why we analyzed it a certain way and what we found or what we didn't found and why and what the data was showing us. So I think it was a very beneficial experience to be able to better synthesize future research as we're trying to apply it to clinical practice and being able to evaluate how they did things to see if we think it was actually a quality study or not. But I can tell you, I will not be uh, participating in much more research, at least from this position. I'll be a participant a lot because it was hard to get people to do it. So <laughs> I will be a participant for people who want or who need people because I know how hard that was, but I will not be leading, uh, leading many studies I don't see in the future. I'm with you on that, especially when, when I start talking about stats, man. Thank God for people like Reed Handler and Stacy Fritz. Oh, man. Those, they helped us a ton. Big shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, that is not my forte. Let's see what else. Oh, oh, tell the listeners what you learned this week at the clinic about the face covers. Oh, man. Presentation is everything. Shout out to, to, yeah, shout out to Dr. Jordan Berry um, for at Onward Charlotte, where my clinical is teaching, uh, you know, showing show me a little, uh, a nice little cool way to present your face cover, uh, pillowcase face cover for when you have to have a patient uh, positioned in prone with their head in the, the face hole of the table. Um, it's pretty cool. You know, again, just the little things, man. It's all about Dude, the presentation. It's, it's more than that, man. There's like, there's like a snap that goes with it. There's a sound. It's, it's a quickness. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's, Dude, and, and that's that stuff matters so much. I mean, think oh, about yeah. think about any restaurant you've eaten at or any hotel you stayed in. The first impression is made like in the first ten seconds, whether you realize it or not. So, um, you know, we can always pick up on when someone's squared away and when they're not. So uh, that's pretty cool, man. That's, that's I'm glad yeah. they're going over stuff yeah, like that. Jordan might be the most detailed clinician um, I've been around in my young career, and it's impressive to to see how he carries himself and how he goes about things. So I'm hoping a little bit of that rubs off on me. Oh yeah, and I'm sure his patients appreciate it too. Oh yeah. All right, let's see what else. We got a back-to-school bash thing going on Saturday morning at the clinic. That's August 24th. So this one's going to be for all our staff and the DPT program at USC. So that's faculty and staff because I know a lot of you guys and girls listening. We appreciate that. And uh, it's going to be a good time. I think we'll get some donuts. We always do. Uh, oh, yeah. workout. It's going to be a team workout. Uh, it's going to be perfect for all skill levels. And, man, the program's pretty big now. So a lot of people turn out. We might have to do heats on this thing. Yeah, we'll see what happens, man. Uh, we'll yeah. see if we can get some some people to show up. It'd be fun to to have the people who haven't seen the clinic in the gym yet to come by and see it, and you know, uh, hopefully, uh, remind them that you know we got to practice what we preach, man. We got to, as Mitch and Alan would say, we got to smoke our own dope, which is illegal in Michigan. Which is, yeah, yep. <laughs> so I mean that, but that's a big part of it, man. You know, it's you know we got to lead by example, lead from the front. So you know we're hosting a nice little workout, and it's one of those things. You know, it's it's not about how good you are at it; it's about showing up, putting in the work, and and you know then you know setting a good example for all of our future patients. That and networking too. You can't never too uh, early to start doing that. So it's going to be a good time. Yep. All right, Josh. Let's go ahead and get this episode. So today's topic is the anabolic window, and I don't want to bear your lead here, but I know that when I think about the anabolic window, it conjures up memories of a younger me where my thoughts are something like, bro, if I don't get my protein shake in within 30 minutes of my workout, I'm going to lose all my gains and then my workout's going to be a waste. So if you don't mind, would you tell the listeners a little bit about what the anabolic window is and if it even exists, if it's even a real thing? What you, wait, you mean that's not true, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So I mean, so the, it's, the idea of nutrient timing and how significant it is has been debated, and there's, uh, I would say that the 
the literature is far from definitive on the necessity of consuming post-workout nutrients um, very, very quickly after you finish working out. So um, the idea of an anabolic window is that there's this time period post-training in which it, it would behoove you to consume some nutrients, particularly uh, some protein and some carbohydrates, um, and that it, your, your body is in a better position to be a, uh, to be able to use those nutrients to um, you know replenish glycogen to begin the process of you know to increase muscle protein synthesis to you know if you're trying to focus on hypertrophy like there, there's this idea that we got to get it in right away right um, and to tell you the truth there's not uh, there really isn't a consensus on it um, I personally think that it is a little overblown on the necessity of having that kind of stuff right after I think you know every cases, uh, you know, very individual. Um, I hate to make blanket statements on it because there, there could be situations where it is necessary to have, you know, that type of intake immediately after, or even starting, you know, some people that start sipping on that protein shake before they're even done with their session. So, um, I think it's, it's very much up for debate. We can talk about kind of some different approaches there, but I, I would say it's, there's nothing definitive out there that says, yes, if you don't have that, that protein shake or that balanced meal within, you know, X number of minutes from training, you are missing out on an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And and that <clears throat> kind of goes in line with, with what I've kind of been reading about it too, what some of the evidence says. And basically when it comes to protein intake, it, I don't think it really matters what kind of training you do or what kind of athlete you are. It might be more about the total amount of protein that you've had within a day or even, even 36 to 48 hours more so than actually timing it within a workout. So, um, you know, I don't think it matters if you had it mid pre post, just get it in throughout the day. But Talk a bit about carbohydrates. So, you know, is, is it, does that matter? I mean, is it important that we try to make a conscious effort to get muscle glycogen resynthesized after workout? Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, something at least for, for me too, back in, in college, when I get done training, what did I do? I put a couple of scoops of protein in there, but zero carbs. And I'm expecting like, that's, that's what I needed. Right. Um, I think that, uh, that might be uh, something that people are missing a little bit is making sure there's an adequate amount of carbohydrates in say a post-workout shake or post-workout meal. But uh, I think that the process of, you know, glycogen replenishment is a little bit of a longer process than we like to think. It's not like, Hey, I have to get this in again in like a 30 minute window, right? It, it, it happens over the course of time. Uh, and I think it, it, it's something where I will advocate some post-workout carbohydrates in various amounts, depending on the situation. For instance, if someone is training in doubles or, or you know, in terms of two sessions in a day, or if they are, uh, you know, training fasted in the AM and then, you know, they're going to be training later and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm adequately fueling prior to that second session. Um, I think, you know, so there's going to be some different situations where uh, including carbohydrates in that window is especially important. Uh, but I think, again, that can maybe be a little bit overblown, too, um, at least in terms of the overall picture. I still think for me, if I, th if I think about the hierarchy um, in terms of like how much or of a percentage of, you know, how important it is, you know, 50% for me of the entire thing is just energy balance. Like, are we eating the right amount? Are we intaking the right amount of total caloric intake versus our expenditure? You know, that's half the picture. And then probably another 30 to 40% is the breakdown of your, your macronutrients, your protein, carbohydrates, and fat. And then as we get into the end there, that last, you know, 10, 20%, 15%, maybe to make it even, um, is where we're looking things like timing and we're looking 
looking at things like supplementation and like the little things on top of it. But the bulk of it is just, are you getting the right amount in total? And then the breakdown of what that is in total throughout the day, that's the biggest bang for your buck, man. We're talking about like the minutia here. Um, and I love when people are focused on, and I get questions about like, do I need to have this many grams of protein in my post-workout shape or this? And they're sleeping five hours in the night and their overall intake is shit and the quality is awful. And it's like, you're trying to worry about the little things, you know, you're getting lost in the minutia when we got these bigger things that are the low hanging fruit. Um, so that was me on a pedestal right there. So I'm going yeah. uh, to step back off a little bit, but, um, you know, but I, I do think that it's not as important as it was, I, as I once thought it was. And as I think as a whole, we thought it was. For sure. And I know we always get back to talking about those lifestyle factors, right? Like sleep, because that is so important and it really is nothing you're going to be able to do in the gym or in the kitchen to be able to combat that if you're only getting a few hours of sleep. But right. with, with, with that said though, it, it, it sounds like this it, it's, it's all about context, right? It, it right. sounds like it depends on, again, who the person is in front of you, who the athlete is and, and what their goals are, right? So when I think about myself, like mostly I just want to get big, right? Hypertrophy. I don't think it matters one bit, right? Because for me, I'm not going to be hitting the same muscle groups within, within a day. I'm not doing two a days, at least not right now. And if I'm going to, you know, hit some kind of heavy squat, I'm probably not doing it again for another 72 hours, right? So I'm going to get, you know, at least nine, 10, if not more meals between, you know, then my next workout. But if we're thinking about someone who is a person who maybe does repeated high intensity stuff, you know, maybe a CrossFitter, maybe someone who's going to get two a days in, I think in my opinion, it, it might be of their benefit to encourage them to try to get some carbs sometime within the workout. And honestly, practically, if we're trying to encourage them just to keep their caloric intake up, we're trying to keep them in a surplus and keep them in an anabolic state, you know, not, not even regarding the anabolic window. I don't think it's a big deal just to tell them to eat something, you know, close to the, close to the workout, especially if you got some kind of a, a college kid or, or something like that, who's not well versed on nutrition, at least that gives you some accountability to make sure they're just getting their freaking food in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, I think I think all those points are great, man. I, that's why oh, I don't like making too many blanket statements because I think that you can apply those in all certain situations. So for me, if I'm going to pick one time where I'm going to you know start on that nutrient timing situation. So say, you know, again, I like to focus on lifestyle factors first. I get the lifestyle factors ready. Uh, you know, we're starting to check those boxes off. We're starting to work in total intake total intake starting to get to where we want it. The first time point or time window that I will start focusing on with people is that post-workout window there. Because again, a lot of times it's something where they can be really consistent because, you know, it, it, you know whether it be, uh, you know, a liquid situation in terms of a shake or whether it be a, a meal post-workout, oftentimes that's the one where there, where people are able to be the most consistent. So that might be where I start. Um, and uh, you know, you're right. If somebody is a high performer and their caloric intake is just extremely high or their carbohydrate demand is really, really high. Um, you're right. I might have them use, a, you know, have a post-workout shake immediately after just so I can ensure that they're not going to be underfed. Uh, so there are situations where I would go that route. Um, I think we get, you know, a lot of people like to think that they're, um, you know, advanced enough to where that's important for their situation. And I'd argue that that is, you know, not as widespread as people think. I think more people need to worry about the, uh, you know, the other factors, the lifestyle factors before we even worry about that part. But um, I do think that it's important. And I do think carbohydrate intake in addition to that protein intake is important too. Um, I like to use the, the analogy of building a house, you know, if we're talking about hypertrophy. Uh, yeah, we know that the amino acids in, uh, in protein are the, uh, you know, building blocks, right? They're the raw materials for building that house. But, you know, the having the energy, and I mean, energy in forms of carbohydrates and fat intake, the actual caloric energy to actually 
build that house is, you know, like the person that's showing up to do the work, either showing up on a full night's sleep with a cup of coffee and ready to go on day three of a bender. And it's like, if you're, you know, those are two very different situations. So you can have adequate protein intake and not have enough stimulus for hypertrophy because it does take a, a, a large amount of energy. So you need this, you need a stimulus from a, maybe a mechanical stimulus or, or, or a metabolic stimulus from the training, but then also you got to have the right amount of intake and there's got to essentially be like uh, adequate energy on board to be able to put that together. So um, for me, I will make sure that the carbohydrate intake is there for certain people, but uh, I think it's got to be case by case. And so if we are going to be recommending some type of carbohydrate, like peri-workout, like within or immediately after, is, we're, we're going to be going with something with like low fiber, high glycemic, right? Yeah, I think the, uh, there's a lot of theories on that, man. Um, I think the ideal carb, if you're not worried about, um, you know, like, um, you know, cost or anything is, is a highly branched cyclic dextrin, um, which is like a, uh, has a heavier molecular weight. It's going to be a, a little bit better post-workout too, but it's going to be more expensive. The easiest thing is to get, uh, you know, Gatorade powder. If you're trying to be cheap, you know, Gatorade powder, powder um, is not that expensive. It's going to be primarily dextrose, but, or you can get like a dextrose maltodextrin blend. Um, a lot of times I'll recommend if I have somebody that's, you know, again, they're trying to put on weight or mass, uh, I'll go Carbogain from uh, Now Sports. I've used that in the past. I recommend that because it's pretty, it's pretty clean. Um, and that's a, a, a blend of, um, maltodextrin and dextrose. I think it's a, a, a good option for people out there too. Um, but it just depends on what the person's goals are. Uh, it also, for me, you know, I'm, I'm first going to start people getting comfortable having a post-workout, uh, meal, you know, uh, you know, 60, 90 minutes after get them comfortable with that. Now, if they just can't handle that from a gut standpoint, then maybe I'm going the liquid route, but you know, I'd rather get it from real food if I can. Yeah, let's actually, let's touch on that a little bit more about preference, because I think that's really important too, because, you know, some people just cannot work out with food on their stomach, right? They're going to be working right. on a fat state just because their stomach can't handle it. And I, and I know sometimes they actually feel guilty about it, like, I didn't, I didn't get a good breakfast, you know, this isn't going to be ideal, but I'm still going to do my best. You might talk a little bit about that as well, like if that matters a whole lot, someone works out in a fasted state versus yeah, the counterpart. I'm yeah, I'm so again another thing where the 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 uh, literature isn't necessarily extremely definitive. You know, you get the people who think like fasted cardio is what is really going to, you know, lead you to leaning out because it's going to build your your, you know, it's going to allow you to, you know, burn more fat throughout the day and and again, the literature is really mixed on that too on whether, you know, fasted versus not fasted is really going to make much of a difference there. Um I think if it's if it's fasted, it's really just more about did you have adequate intake um in the prior meal um or the prior prior day leading up to it on whether you're actually be able to perform well on that particular session. So if someone doesn't tolerate food, you know, that close to training, you know, then it, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we just have to make sure that when the last time they did consume food, it has, you know, an adequate uh, you know, amount of nutrients in it to be able to support that training when it does come up. So, you know, I have people that work out at five in the morning because of their schedule and, you know, they're not going to get up at three 30 to be able to have breakfast in there. They're going to, you know, try to push it as long as they can, you know, and I, and I understand that. So it's just about making sure that then their, their breakdown the night before is where it needs to be. So that way they're able to support that training. So, um, it's really, you know, individual there. Um, I, I don't have people usually eat, you know, within 60 minutes or so because I don't want um, like a, that rise in insulin to still be kind of present going into training. I'd rather have it, uh, you know, have a chance to come back down. So I think between like 60 and 90 minutes is probably more ideal. Um, but again, a lot of it's what's that person's lifestyle like? What's their, you know, how's their schedule? When are they training? You know, it, I don't think they have to have that meal in, but I just want to make sure everything else is structured well.
For sure. So again, it goes, circles back around to it's all about context, right? So mm-hmm. that's why it's so important if you can to get a coach, get someone that knows you from an individual standpoint, knows what your routine is and your habits and preferences are, things like that too. Because another factor in this is just simply logistics, right? You've got these yep. working professionals that come and do their 5 a.m. before they do a long day of work or, you know, a college athlete, you know how busy their schedules are and that kind of thing too. So sometimes the, the nutrient timing has more to do with their schedules than it does with anything to do with what their demands of their workouts are or their sport. Yeah, no, and and to tell you the truth, there's not a ton of literature that supports a big difference between eating three meals and eating six meals. For a while, it was kind of like, oh, you need to eat, you know, every two hours, all this kind of stuff. To tell you the truth, most of it isn't definitive. I can find an article that probably supports every single one of those theories when you just pull it out, um, you know, pull it out and separate away from the rest, or you know, take it out of context. You know, there's 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 rarely in the nutrition world, just like the training world too, something that is so definitive that yes, this is the way it has to be done. So um, for me, if someone's lifestyle doesn't support six meals a day, I'm not going to try to force them to eat six meals a day or if somebody's lifestyle, you know, supports where they can, they need to have four instead of five. I think five would be great. They can only do four. Then we're going to do four. It's really not, it's negligible, the amount of difference there. So for me, it's like, okay, what's their schedule like? When can they train? When are they, are there times to eat? You know, if I have to sneak something in, you know, uh, as like an additional, uh, um, you know, additional snack or additional intake block, you know, how do I make it more portable if they have to have it between, you know, this meeting and that meeting, or, you know, you're just working with that person on their schedule and what works for, for them logistically, as you mentioned. Um, so that way the, again, I hit those biggest things that are the bank for my buck, which is the total number of calories. And then the breakdown of macronutrients after that, you know, those mm-hmm. are more important to me. As long as I'm hitting that again, that's 80% of the whole picture. And then, you know, if I'm, and then if I'm also ensuring that it's very high quality food or high quality intake there, you know, uh, the, the stuff that's left on the table because their lifestyle isn't going to be, or doesn't support like the quote unquote perfect plan. If there is such a thing is negligible, man, we focus on such the things that don't really matter as much as you know which is funny to me when the the big things we're just neglecting so for me i can get a long i can get a big you know i can i can cover most of the ground without worrying about exactly how many meals i have and exactly when those meals occur for sure so basically when it comes to anabolic window i mean this is just this is just like doing a research project it just raises more questions than anything else right there's no definitive definitive answers one way or another but what i what i got from this uh, is that we don't really know if the anabolic window does exist, but if it does within 30 minutes or an hour of the workout, probably doesn't matter a whole lot. Correct. Right. Yeah. I think if if you're, yeah, I think if you're really worried about it, I would keep it at least within like 90 minutes, two hours, you know, it's not, I don't think the difference between 30 and 60 I'd argue is probably very, very little. So honestly, a lot of people's gut doesn't really tolerate, especially a crossfit did something intense. Some, you know, right. big shake 30 minutes after or, 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 you know, they might need a little bit more time and it's okay to, to push it out to an hour. You're not going to lose your gains. I promise. Right. And, and so my opinion, if I'm working with an athlete, I am going to suggest, but I'm not going to harp on it, that if there's someone who is doing repeated high intensity stuff, or, you know, someone's going to be hitting the same muscle groups on like consecutive days, I'm going to encourage them to go get their carbs. Right. Because I think it, it's not going to hurt as long as their stomach can handle it, their schedule can handle it to do some things to try to replenish muscle glycogen. Protein, I ain't too worried about it, right? We're looking at this from like, you know, a 24 to 48 hour standpoint. However, why wait? You know what I'm saying? So, right. you know, if, if we don't, we, if we want to encourage them to make sure they're getting it in and getting their calories in, you know, if their stomach can handle it, it's not going to hurt to get it within a couple hours of the workout, but not because of the anabolic window. 
Yep. Yeah, I think that that's that. I think that's all. You know exactly how I would approach it too, man. I think the uh, we we need to handle the big things first. You know, take care of those big things, and then you know gradually as you you have those down, then you can focus on things that are a little bit more important uh, or going to have you know a little bit more of an impact at the end when you're chasing that last one or two percent. So I got to build that foundation. Get your sleep. Yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm maybe not the best person to uh, to talk to about that. Uh, do as I say, not as I do when it comes to that part of it. Yeah, you guys look trash Friday after after y'all defended, man. I could tell it was just like a big adrenaline dump when y'all showed back yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was rough, man. Um, yeah, yeah I, and I'm still I'm still paying for it, man, because all the stuff that I pushed off to make sure that we finished that, I've been trying to cram in this weekend and you know, start back at it tomorrow morning. I hear you. Well, before we sign off, don't forget that Josh and I are going to be at CSM 2020 in Denver, Colorado. So come see us in person and get a little symmetry with these voices. And if you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That way you can leave us a five-star review. We'll be back next Monday. Y'all have a great week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.